0: You guys it with all your heart. So. stirred me up a bit now. Got me excited. So I'll have to preach that way. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24, we'll look at three verses as we continue with the Olivet Discourse this morning. And I'm hoping to bring a bit of a New Year's message into it as well. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39. Let's read. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and you not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we once again thank you that we are kept in your love moment by moment, that each and every moment we are connected to you. And by your grace, we live and move and have our being. So Father, this morning we pray that you would be near to each one of us, that our hearts would be open to your word, that the Spirit would be indeed working upon our hearts and our minds, that we might understand the truth and that we might take it into ourselves. Lord, I pray that you bless me now, that I might bless my brethren here with the word that you've given me. Father, we thank you so much for the word that you've preserved for us, that so we can trust each and every syllable in it. And Father, we just pray that it would do its work this morning. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard of the term, the good old days? The good old days. You must have heard it before. Hands up who's used that term before. Uh, the good old days. Uh, okay. Man, it's all the oldies put their hands up. The good old days. And what does that mean, the good old days? Is it the good old days when no one wore seatbelts in their cars? Amen. <laughs> Maybe the good, old, the good old days when, uh, when um, I don't know, is it, there was a, a few things we used to do in the old days, and if I think about it now, you sort of cringe, don't you? Um, sorry? Well, no, no bicycle helmets, and there were, there were things we used to, to get up to when I was younger, and they were a lot of fun. But when you look back at it now, like there is no way in the world that you'd be, you'd be doing those particular things. But then again, we've lost a whole lot of things as well. I mean, I used to... Used to I remember having the, um, uh, the, the safety or the, the, the apparent safety of being able to play cricket with my, with my friends in the nets till all hours of the night, you know what I mean, without worrying about what was going on when we were growing up. They were different days back then. Were they better? Were they good? compared to today. We have a lot of benefits today than you know than, than what we had before, but there are some things that we've lost as well. But it, everything, there's a bit of swings and roundabouts there. But why does every generation say the good old? Why does every generation lament the days they're living in now and remember the days they used to live in before, as if they were somehow much better? Is it we're lamenting ourselves as to the degrading of our society? Maybe we see that, that Society, in a sense, has lost its innocence. You know what I mean? But what about the previous generation? Were they more innocent again? And before them, were they more innocent again? Look, is it, is it continuing to, to go in a particular direction? What times do we live in today? How do our, how do our days, compared to other days? And when you look at... Some people compare the, the, the days they live in um, to previous years by comparing how much money they can how much money or how many things their money can buy today. Do you remember when you can buy for 20 cents enough fish and chips to, to feed a whole family? Well, those days are gone, aren't they? But then again, people are earning more money today. So it's, there is a little bit of a, a payoff there, I suppose. What does it mean, the good old days, and, what, and how do you compare your days with other days? It's a difficult question to answer because, you see, each of us only has a very limited lifespan. So it's difficult for us to compare our days, say, to days that were 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or a thousand years ago. I mean, what was it like living in the Romans' day? What was like living in Jesus' day? What was like living in Noah's day? It's it's a bit hard for us to compare because we have such a limited, personally, a limited lifespan and limited experiences. We only we have a limited experience in terms of the range, the area that we live in the culture that we live in, the people that we even get to know. So even in our own day, it's difficult for us to compare because the way I grew up would have been very different to the way you grew up. So your perception of the world growing up would have been very different to mine. And even your perception of the world today is dependent upon who you know around you, your circle of friends, your families, the area that you live in. So even from suburb to suburb, there's different types of life, isn't there? So when when we say these days or the good old days, what are we actually saying? The question's a little bit deceiving, a little bit deceiving. Because if we look at it on a worldwide scale, if we compare our culture today, if we were to say there was a culture in the world or the way the world is, it's very difficult to put a finger on where the world is. Because are you in the the billion people or so out of the seven billion people in the world that lives on more than $100 a day? Or are you part of the three or four billion that lives on $10 a day? Or are you part of the one or two billion that lives on $1 a day? It really depends on which part of the world you live. And which part of the world you live will will basically uh, determine what sort of world view you actually have. So when Jesus says that the days, as in the days of, sorry, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man. what was he actually saying? What was it like in Noah's day? How does it compare to today? And what does Jesus mean that, that as it was in Noah's day, is going to be the same as when, Jesus, when he returns. And they're going to um, miss out on the warning signs. Jesus likens the days of his coming to the days of Noah. But in what way? So today I want to have a bit of a look at that. And I want to then compare what it was like in Noah's days to our days today. So we get a little bit of a gauge. Because we can only really compare our days to Noah's days by comparing our own society here. I can't compare what it's like living in Africa to Noah's day. I can't compare. Everyone's got to do it for themselves. And we have to compare ourselves as individuals to what it was like in his days and what it would be like what it will be like when Jesus returns and it's up to us to determine that for ourselves and as we enter into a new year as we enter into 2015 what are we going to be like how do we fit in to our society and the culture that, that we live in. Are we going along with everything that's happening or are we going to be different people? Are we going to affect them or are we going to allow the world to affect us? These are questions that are very important for us to answer. and I'm hoping we can answer some of those questions today. So let's, let me start this off by saying that Jesus compared the days of Noah to the last days before his return. Now the return of Jesus will come very suddenly upon the world as did, he says, the flood that came in Noah's day. And even though God sent sign after sign after sign and allowed Noah to preach for many, many, many years, um, men in Noah's day rejected God's warning and were swept away by a flood. The vast majority of men, the Bible says, will be lost to an eternity in hell in the last days. Because they will choose the deceitful freedom offered by Satan over obedience to God and his ways. There is something that we can learn from the days of Noah that will help us in our own time as well. As we see the gradual decay of the church in our society. We see what we're seeing today around us is difficult to gauge. But if you look at the church today and compare it to what it was like 50 years ago... And a hundred years ago, there is a pattern that's forming. We see the gradual decay of the Church of God. We see a loss of power. We see the abandonment of the Word of God to modern-day philosophies and different types of things like that. The world has been prepared for a one world order and the time, the Bible says, will be Jacob's trouble. And after that time, the Bible says that Jesus will return. And he will take the world by surprise. The world will not see it coming. And it will be too late when he's returned. Turn to First Peter chapter 3 with me. And we'll look at the Apostle Peter and what he says about the days of Noah. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, We sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The Apostle Peter says that the time of, of Noah were wicked times, but God was long-suffering, Patient, Not willing, the Bible says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the time of Noah was a time of opportunity. It was a time of repentance. And it was a time where God wanted men to be saved. And he gave them every opportunity to do it. And even though God had destined the world to be destroyed, he allowed them a window of opportunity to accept the salvation that he was offering them noah preached the word noah was building an ark and that building of the ark was a sign to the world that the judgment of god was coming and keep in mind there's a couple of things where the world was different in those days to our days how many languages were there one language there was only one language there wasn't any any confusion about about who was saying what to whom. And how many different nations were there? There was one. There were different cities, okay, but everyone lived in more or less a confined geographical location. So there weren't people in Italy and people in Australia separated by by large masses of water. Everyone lived, more or less, in the same geographical location, separated by cities, okay? In that situation, Noah preached the word of God and built this ark, a boat. Noah had the an enviable, an enviable task of having to build a boat 450 feet long, 70 feet, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, would that have stood out in the actual um, on the horizon there, as people were uh, were doing their daily thing? Yeah, it would have. But Noah had to build this incredible structure, the first one that had ever been built, based on God's instructions, with four men. They had to gather supplies. They would have put up with a tremendous amount of ridicule as well as people made fun of them while they went about their, uh, their task. <coughs> and at the same time, they had to preach these same people who were doomed to destruction if they didn't accept the truth. And the reality was quite sad, when you think of it, for all their effort, all their work, and all their desire that the world would be saved, and the, the plenty of room there would have been in that, that ark for people to come on board, and there was. They were only saved themselves. Only eight souls were saved out of a whole world So you see, Noah could preach, Noah could build, Noah could call the animals, Noah could do all those things, collect food. But Noah couldn't repent for them, could he? If he could, he probably would have. He couldn't pray on their behalf. He could pray for them, but he couldn't pray on their behalf. He couldn't obey for them. And when the day came when he had to enter the ark, It was God who closed the door behind him. The Bible says that God closed the door. God opened the door and God closed the door. And the world missed out on the grace that was available to them if they had simply believed. Noah's preaching, even though it it was made to save the world, in the end condemned the world and left the world with absolutely no justification or excuse. They had heard the truth, and they would heard it year after year after year. They rejected the truth, and now the truth would be their judge. The days of Noah were in reality a time of opportunity for salvation, a time of deliverance, a time of mercy, where God's doors of mercy were opened. But there came a time when the door was shut. Can you imagine the fear in the hearts of those people, as they had heard that message and probably laughed at him and scorned him when the first drops started to fall from the skies? You see, it had never rained before. It had never rained. Can you imagine that? And then all of a sudden, these massive thunderstorms, these heavy clouds get filled with water and the drops start falling. And they remember the message that Noah was telling them, that God would destroy the world by water. And all of a sudden, water's falling from the heavens. What would be your, if you were in their position, what would be your thought? Get to the ark? As they looked around them, not only did water start to fall, the Bible says that gushes of water came up from the ground. It would have been an absolutely scary, scary situation. But I can imagine that many of them would have remembered the message that was preached and thought to themselves, let's get to the ark. But by the time they got to the ark, what happened? The door was closed. What was it like in Noah's day? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 verse 11. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. I want to look at that that as our first point. The earth was filled with violence. Society in Noah's day was characterized by violence. You know, when you see the TV and you see people violent toward one another, and your your stomach churns and and you cringe when you see people going through pain and suffering because other people are violent. In Noah's day, it was prevalent. In Noah's day, it was widespread. The strong terrorised the weak and took advantage of the weak. Actually, if you look at the description that's given to us in, uh, in Genesis of Noah's day, it actually characterised a type of society we call anarchy, where the rule of law doesn't really go well with people. They, they, it's a bit of a wild, you know the wild, wild west? It's that sort of society where there is no proper rule of law and, and people don't respect the law. Where the strong are the ones who actually rule. If you compare our society to that society there, you couldn't say that our society in general was filled with violence. Although we see violence in a city of how many in Melbourne? Four million. Although violence is around and we see it, you wouldn't say it's filled with violence. there'll be a few places in the world that probably would be characterised by this type of violence. If, and where does violence come from? What's the root of violence? Why are people violent towards each other? Hatred, You're exactly right, hatred. Hatred starts and is the, the, the base of where violent, violence comes from. And if you look at violence and hatred, I think there's one person who started the whole thing off and, and, and opened that door to violence, and that was Cain. The first son born in the world hated his brother. He hated him because his brother was doing the right thing. So in his heart, hatred began to well up, and that hatred eventually turned to violence and eventually murder. By the fifth generation... Lamech, who was also a descendant of Cain, killed another man. And you see in in Lamech's um, response and Lamech's declaration how arrogant and proud he actually was as an individual. This is only within five generations of, of creation. I'll read this to you. And Lamech said unto his wives, which we'll talk about a bit later, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. You like that? He killed the man who hurt him. And he said, if, if anyone tries to kill me, I'm going to be avenged seventy times. If Cain was going to be avenged seven. How's that for arrogance? Look at verse 12. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. The second thing that it was, it was corrupt. So it was violent, and it was corrupt. The term corrupt refers to something that's become rotten, that was once okay but then has become rotten to its core, spoiled and degraded. In this sense, we should understand that the world in Noah's day had become spoiled and rotten to the core. Things that God had created for good were corrupted and were used for evil. Man had already thrown away the dignity of being created in the image of God. You see, when God created Adam, the Bible says he created him in his own image. Man threw away that idea. So they treated each other with contempt, with violence, with hatred. They marred and degraded the image of God, and as a result, they degraded everything else in their lives. Because they had rejected God, the Bible says that God gave them over to their own imaginations and lusts. Romans describes what happens when people reject God And then start following their own imaginations. Turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 28 with me. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant-breakers, without nat- natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. You may do yourself a favour with some of those words and look them up in a dictionary. It's good to understand what they all mean. But the picture is very clear. that people who, who give up the idea of God and the knowledge of God and choose to go their own way eventually come this way. And that's a perfect picture of what it was like in Noah's day. They had rejected the knowledge of God, and they had decided and chosen to go their own path and follow their own evil imaginations, so they had become corrupt in every way. No doubt, the sanctity of marriage was also corrupt. As you saw, Lamech took a number of wives. That wasn't the way God created it from the beginning. But yet, within within five or so generations, they were already doing those sorts of things. But if the Bible says that they had become corrupt in every way, well then the things that they were doing in those days were also corrupt. Turn back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 20 with me. And we'll see a few of the things that they were used to doing in those days. Things that we're used to doing ourselves, and that we see ourselves in our society. Genesis 4:20 says, and Ada Bed. Jabal. and he was the father of such as dwell in tents and have and have such and and of such as have cattle, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naaman. Now look at the things that they were doing. Okay, so they had. People that dwell in tents and that looked after cattle, okay, and that dwell in tents so they could could move around and the cattle could actually feed in different areas. Then you actually had people who were entertainers who could handle the harp and the organ and you had people who handled steel and brass. Okay. Let me ask you a question. What were they handling cattle for? What do you do with cattle? You can eat them. You can. Were they allowed to eat meat? They weren't supposed to eat meat. In fact, God's instructions to man was they were they were meant to eat what fruits and the herbs of the field. These guys are are growing cattle. Jebel was a musician. Understood, understood instruments and music the bible says that they had corrupted their way so what does music become when you become corrupted it becomes corrupted too so instead of being uh, a way to, to uplift men in a wholesome way and to rejoice in what God had done for you music had become corrupted and you know what I'm talking about because we know corrupted music today Tubal Cain was an instructor in brass and iron. Now, when you're bent for violence and you're corrupt to your core, what do you do with metal work? You make weapons. So they spent their time making weapons, enjoying themselves in ways they shouldn't have been enjoying themselves, eating foods they weren't meant to be eating. In every way, they rejected God and turned the opposite way they were corrupt the worship of God had become corrupt man's relationship with God was completely broken and with each successive generation it got worse which brings us to the final point Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually corruption comes from an evil imagination an imagination that is allowed to run free without restraint only results in evil it will inevitably go toward evil so if i'm if i am a, a steel worker and i've hate the guy next door because he's been nasty to me and I'm making something steel for the first time and I'm thinking, well, this is pretty good. Okay, bang, bang, bang. You see, the imagination of men leads to evil. What, what happened? The world had become, become completely ungodly. They had abandoned the knowledge of God, and God was giving them over and gave them over to the imaginations of their own hearts. And with each new imagination that came up, it got worse and worse and worse. And you see that in our society today, don't you? The internet's a wonderful thing, but you can find every depravity, every corruption, every evil imaginable to man on there if you're looking for it. And man continually finds ways to come up with new ways of doing evil. And this is what it was like in Noah's day. Was there society? Yeah, there was society. Were they eating and drinking? Yeah, they were eating and drinking. Were they getting married? Yeah, they were getting married. They were doing things that most normal people do. But the problem was they were corrupt, they were evil to the core, they had rejected God and as a result their imaginations were running wild and free. Turn to 2 Peter 2, verse 4 with me. Because the reason that all this thing happened is they had become ungodly. They had rejected God and God had left them to their own devices. And it wasn't just men. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. Says, For as God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Men had rejected God. There was no God in their mind, in their heart. They had rejected him. The term ungodly simply means people who have rejected God and his laws. They've rejected his authority, his laws, his provision, and they've rejected his love. In Noah's days, both men and angels had rejected God's love. Not all the angels, because we know a third of them fell. But both men and angels, the fallen ones, had become corrupted, Jude tells us that certain angels did not stay where they were supposed to stay. They left, he says, their first estate, their first place, the place they were meant to be, and they corrupted themselves just like men. I'll read this for you. And Jude 1:6 says, "And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness." Unto the judgment of the great day. I believe that this passage refers to the sons of God That's men- that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. And it's no wonder that God chose to destroy a whole earth when men and angels were conspiring together to do evil. We're both in it together. Turn to Genesis chapter 6 with me as we look at this rather um, distressing passage here. And it came to pass, Genesis chapter 6 verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. This scene, this passage, is is difficult to even imagine, to be honest with you. And if you're thinking what it's what what you what you think it's saying, it probably is. And how I don't know. The fact that it says that there were giants in those days is a scary is a scary thought. Because a world filled with violence and you have giant men who somehow have been created or came came into existence through angelic means. Is a scary thought, and these men, it says here, were mighty men, men of renown. They would have, no doubt, have led men in in more depravity and more wickedness. I won't talk too much about it, but it's an interesting topic in itself. But why did no one respond to the preaching of Noah? Why did no one listen to that message? Why did they reject the only way of salvation? Basically because the Bible says they had rejected God and they had corrupted their own minds. They couldn't even think properly in the end. They were so consumed and captured by their sin and their lust that they became too blind to see the warning signs. I've seen that. Where people are so caught up with sin... So caught up with with the flesh that they will do the obvious thing that is going to put them in trouble and they don't even think about it. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They'll, They'll do a sin and they'll do it knowing that there's probably going to be a consequence at the end of it, but they hope it won't. Or they pretend that there will be no consequence and in the end they suffer the consequence. And Jesus says that when he returns... That violence will once again be prevalent on the earth. I'll read this passage to you Matthew chapter 24, 9. Then shall I deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. When Jesus returns, before Jesus returns, the Bible says that believers will be a rare breed. They will be hated by the whole world. Violence will be perpetrated against them. They will be hunted down, persecuted, and killed for what they believe. Violence will be prevalent in the earth once again. Wars will be prevalent in the earth once again. In fact, wars will be so strong during that time, the Bible says that not just millions of people will be killed, but billions of people will be killed. A quarter of the earth will be destroyed. Thirds of the earth will be destroyed. And the armies will fight so hard that, that many people will be killed. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So before Jesus returns... The Bible says that there will be great violence in the earth once again. Men will, when Jesus returns, reject God and fully once again reject the image of God in man. The sanctity of human life during those days shall be abandoned and replaced by by a new age and godless philosophy that will treat man as a commodity or another animal. The devil hates mankind. And he will be in the box seat during that time. He will have or hold sway over mankind. And he desires to be worshipped as well. He hates mankind, but he wants to be worshipped by him too. And it's this contrast that will fuel the Antichrist in his endeavour to be the God of this world, to be worshipped by men. And as men in the last seven years bow the knee to the Antichrist, they will, by nature, become more and more like him the one who they worship, the one who they bow the knee to, they will be more and more like. They will choose to be like him. They will reject God and they will say, we want to follow this guy here. He's got all our answers. We want to be like him. And the world will become fully corrupt again. Even though they shall be marrying, marriage will lose any any true concept of what it means it shall have a much more corrupted form today the battle lines today are, are gay marriage and, and those sorts of things the battle lines in the future, that will be all over marriage will be I don't know, I can't imagine what it would be men will be more selfish than before they would have lost their natural affection for one another marriage would have lost all its meaning as in Noah's day men will take advantage of other, other men They will do things they're not meant to be doing and they will do it as a course of habit. Music and all forms of entertainment shall be utterly corrupt with forms of Christian entertainment and music outlawed. Don't expect to be singing from hymn books during that time. There shall be no witness, no music that will glorify God ...without being persecuted. As in Noah's days, technology will be used for evil purposes. It's being used for evil purposes now. But it will be used for completely (coughs) evil purposes in that day. To subdue people, to fight wars, to reject God. It will become the world of the ungodly again. Listen to Revelation chapter 13... And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. That's the Antichrist. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, that's the devil, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. The whole world will just wander after him. The whole world will run after him and will be enamoured by him. What he does, they will love, they will lap up. The time of the end shall be a mirror image of the world that God destroyed in Noah's day. Because of its great wickedness. And the end shall be exactly as the first. Men shall be going along their their daily lives doing what they think is a regular thing to do, as men have always done, totally oblivious to the warning signs that God was sending them. During this time, we spoke about the angelic beings in, um, in the days of Genesis and the days of Noah. Well, during these days, the Bible teaches that Satan shall be cast to the earth along with all his cohorts. And it also teaches that the demons that have been locked up, that have been in those chains from those days, are going to be let loose during these last days. Can you imagine the world? Can you imagine those demons that are let loose, that have been in chains in darkness for thousands of years, knowing they only have a little while to go? What type of world will it be? It will be absolute mayhem. Men will be so so consumed with their lusts and sin they will not take notice of the warning signs that God will send to the earth and the preaching of the gospel that will take place. Okay, but well what about our day? Where do we sit between Noah's day and the final days? Well, guess what? We sit somewhere in the middle. We are in the middle. When you see the violence that's occurring around the world today, when you see a a Sydney siege take place and a man takes hostages, when you see all the stuff that David brought up last week, when you see people being killed and crucified in the Middle East by ISIS, when you see people being cleansed and and killed and, and horrific things being done, you realise... Man hasn't changed, has he? But you see, the world generally has rejected also the image of God in man today. You know, with evolution and the acceptance of evolution, the image of God in man has been done away with. Man isn't creating God's image anymore. And when man is considered just an animal, well, then that opens up a whole range of things you can do with him when he's a animal. It hasn't come to its full conclusion because I tell you something, that Christians make a bigger difference in this world than you can even imagine. The reason the the world isn't as depraved as it could be is because we're here. Because the, the Spirit of God is working The world has become corrupted. Marriage is becoming more and more watered down. Money and wealth is being used in more and more evil ways. Entertainment is becoming more and more corrupted. You can't even turn on the TV today because even if you're watching what you think is a wholesome movie, say a children's movie or a program on TV, the, the, the commercials that come up in between are all corrupt. Technology is being used in more and more creative ways to do evil in the world. And God's word is being rejected more and more and more. It is becoming more and more the world of the ungodly. More and more men are rejecting God and making a God of their own. Idolatry is a hallmark of our generation with a smorgasbord of gods you can choose from. Whatever, whatever suits you, whatever you're comfortable with, is the one that people go with. But Second Timothy tells us, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These are trying days. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me. Let's see what Peter says about these last days. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. That's Noah's flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and petition of ungodly men. There will come a day when the ungodliness of man will hit a particular trigger point for God, and God's program the final destruction for the world, will come by fire. It will start to roll out. Our world is becoming more and more immune to the Gospel. The more we preach it, the less they're hearing it. The problem is we have very little time in ourselves to be able to affect and to change people, to to invite them to the Lord. And the results, I understand that many of you who share the gospel and are scared to share the gospel and becoming more scared to share the gospel, it becomes discouraging sometimes when you share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel and you pray for them and pray for them and you don't see the results that are happening. The reality is sad that many will go to hell. But we must face these last days like Noah. Don't we? Shouldn't we? Noah sought and found grace in God's eyes. If you're saved here today and you've already found that grace that God's extended to you and you've accepted it by faith, we must do like Noah did and obey. Be obedient to what God is calling us to do. The Bible teaches that Noah did according to all that God commanded him. He didn't do some, he didn't do part. He didn't say, "Oh, that seems a bit hard for me, God, but I'll do this for you. He did everything that God asked him to do. He put up with the ridicule. He put up with the, with the pain. He put up with the effort that he had to put in and even with the heartache when that door closed and no one was safe. But he kept going through the whole thing. And he understood and he accepted that if God asked him to do it, even if he thought it was a hopeless situation, that, that you are to obey. And he did. Because it's God who brought the animals in. It's God who shut the door. It's God who protected them and did everything to to make sure that they would come through the whole thing. Remember something. If God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. He will never require you to do more than you are able to do or more than he will equip you to do. He leads and he guides and he equips. The rapture of the church is imminent. And the tribulation period is coming. A very short period in the history of man, which is so significant in the Bible, it's incredible. And you understand why when you look at the numbers. Today, there are more people that live on this planet, in this generation, than have ever lived in the entire history of the world. Did you know that? There are more people living today than they've ever lived in the world previously. You see, we know when we think of the world previously, Noah's day, there weren't billions of people on the planet. There would have been lucky to have been millions. Now there are billions. And every year, it's getting bigger and bigger. If the world was wiped out now, more people will be wiped out now than have ever existed. That's why this day is so important. And we're in the midst of it. So the Apostle Peter says... Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, in verse 11, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements, elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell righteousness. What sort of people should we be? Are we waiting for that day? I'll be looking forward to the coming of our Lord. And then in verse 14, he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Our lives should be blameless before him. In the midst of this crooked and perverse generation that we live in, we should be looking forward to his coming, but living as lights in this world. Do you live as a light in this world? Are you different to people around you? Do you remember the, the imaginations of the heart that Romans told us? Well, Timothy tells the same thing. It says that, that men will walk after the imaginations of the, of the flesh. But there is, there is an ability that you have as a Christian that the unsaved don't have. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. If you struggle with sin today, if sin is a problem for you, there is something you need to do. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Just as the early men and the the men in the last days will allow their imaginations to run free and the men in our society allow their imaginations to run free to find whatever they can do, whatever first thing comes into their mind, the Bible says that we are to cast down imaginations. You have the ability to control your imagination, to not let it run rampant. You can bring every thought into captivity for Christ. You have that ability. If you are a child of God this morning, you have the ability to control your imagination, your thoughts, because you know that's where your sin starts. Don't you? It all starts up here. It starts with a thought, and then you play with the thought and then the thought begins to grow legs and arms. And before long, the thought bears fruit. And the Bible teaches that once, once sin bears fruit, once sin is, is conceived, it brings death. We have, brothers and sisters, an ability to be able to cast down those imaginations, those thoughts. We have an ability by the Spirit of God, not our own power, by the Spirit of God to control those things for the glory of God. The thoughts that we think Can be for the glory of God in every possible way. We have been called to be the knowers in our day. We are somewhere in between. And things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. You're right. The good old days aren't ahead. Things won't get better, they'll get worse. Will you be the knower of, your, of this generation as you enter into 2015? Will you make a choice to be the knower of your generation? Will you live and be obedient as Noah was in anyway? the God bless you.